0: The sun is shining and all of my favorite plant friends are popping up right now. Speaking of plants, what are you growing this year? Do you know? Do you know what kind of medicine will be in your garden or are you still trying to figure it out? totally okay if you're still trying to figure it out. We're all growing and learning on this journey, right? But if you want some help, I do have a family medicine garden guides. It's basically 10 essential herbs that I feel like every mom needs to know and grow in their yard. I give you some growing tips and ways that you can use it as medicine. And it's totally free. So if you want that, I'm going to pop a link in the show notes here for you to grab it and give Get your hands digging in the dirt and growing incredible medicine for you and your family.
1: The way that it was an interaction between me and the place that I lived that really roped me in and tied me in and has kept me engaged with it, you know, because I've got a pretty not awesome attention span. (laughs) (laughs) and I can be pretty scattered with stuff. And I think it's the, the inexhaustible depth and breadth of nature yeah. that engage in herbalism. There's never any end where you don't say like, wow, I know a lot of stuff, but you look at some other topic and be like, but I don't know anything about that, you know.
0: Totally. I've I got to just amend to that.
1: Welcome to The Herbalist's Path where we're on a mission to inspire a movement where there's an herbalist in every home again with your host, clinical herbalist, Melissa Mutterspa. Sweet.
0: Yay. I'm so happy you're here for an interview. Yeah. Uh,
1: vice versa. Um,
0: yeah. What do I say about Jim McDonald? Other than he's awesome at teaching people ethics around wild harvesting plants. He's also working on getting all of his brilliance and genius out to people online these days. I'm still confident that you've got a buttload of knowledge and, and really useful tools that people can use, whether they're getting that information from you online, which by the way, he's got an awesome, super in-depth, informative website called herbcraft.org, but you can actually get him live occasionally as a teacher too. So you should do that if you have the chance. He's out in Michigan. He's doing awesome things. I love him. You're going to love him. And I'm stoked to have you, Jim. Thanks for being here.
1: (laughs) I'm super delighted to be here, Mel.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. I think one of the things that's really cool about what you do and how you share information with people about using plants as medicine and how you help your clients help themselves by using plants as medicine. I I think I may have read this on your page at some point in time, but you didn't really go through all the Formal, ta-da training of herbalism. Yeah, I,
1: I didn't go through any formal training, and I, I did learn from a lot of different people. But right. um, at the time, so it would have been like the mid to late nineties is when I was first getting into it. I forget the exact year. I'm not very great with numbers and years. Um, but there just wasn't a lot of stuff happening around Michigan, you know. And this is where I lived. Um, the internet was. It existed, but it wasn't like a thing. You know, I didn't have the internet when I first started reading. What I would do is I would go to like Barnes and Noble and Borders bookstores. And honestly, I would like grab some printer paper off of their kiosk, you know, in a section and one of their pens. I was was so unprepared. I didn't even bring my own notebook. And I would just sit down um, because back then those bookstores had like really extensive sections on alternative medicine and and, and lots of different herb books there and I would like just like be looking up a plant and I would look it up in you know seven or eight or nine or ten herb books and I would take notes on paper and cross-reference between all of those that's how I would do that I would go to libraries Um, I got into herbs when I was going to Michigan State University and so like while I was there and occasionally while I still had friends there I would go back I would go to the university library and like do the same thing there and so all of that happened before there was a lot of online stuff you know had i had access to more information i maybe would have met some of the herb teachers that were teaching down in ann arbor or in a few other places there's an amazing herbalist who was teaching um in the northwest lower peninsula named joyce wardwell um, who i've since gotten to know and she was like she's off the charts brilliant you know, but I, I really sort of didn't know about that. I knew that there are herbalists and they always seem to be out on the West coast somewhere or out in the Northeast somewhere. That seemed like where most people were. Um, and so I, I read a lot of books at a certain point, I, um, discovered how the internet worked that took a little while and some, some pretty extreme faux pas of like still working on that one. Right. (laughs) And, um, Got involved in the online mailing list, you know, the email list that Henriette Kress had and then later the American Herbalist Guild email list and there was like a few forums, there was the Susan Weed Forum and the Herb Withery Forum and some other forums there. And at the time, I guess because I was young, because I didn't have any kids, um, that made a big difference. I had a lot more free time. Um, right. <laughs> I was able, you know, people would say like, "Oh my gosh, you're online all the time." I'm like, "Well, because that's my way to interact with people. You know, that's my way to um, to find sources of information that weren't in the books that were more from, you know, people that didn't have stuff written down." And it was it was through that that I got to know. Um, little bit michael moore and howie brownstein and seven song and paul bergner um and a lot of other you know teachers who were writing on these lists and um you know they sort of like opened up different ideas and concepts to me Mm -hmm. and then i think that the the underlying thing between you know all the different ways of learning is that from from the the earliest point that i got interested in herbs I was going out and picking stuff and making tea with it, you know, making tinctures or sitting in baths with stuff or smoking stuff or (laughs) making oils out of stuff or chewing on stuff. And I, I don't think that like had, I I think if I had learned about herbs is like going out to the store and buying like capsules and stuff, I don't think it would have drawn me in. It was really the way that it was an interaction between me and the place that I lived that really roped me in and tied me in and has kept me engaged with it, you know, because I've got a pretty not awesome attention span (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I can be pretty scattered with stuff. And I think it's the, the inexhaustible depth and breadth of nature. Yeah. Engage in herbalism. There's never any end where you don't say like, wow, I know a lot of stuff, but you look at some other topic and be like, but I don't know anything about that. You know,
0: totally. I got to just amend to that. When I was in, you know, in the institutional schools, I would get bored really quickly. Like my brain wanted to keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's the beauty of herbalism is how are you going to get bored? There's always something new to learn from another teacher, whether that teacher is the plant, whether that teacher is somebody like you or another teacher, or if that teacher is a client you're working with, or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a all that whole synergy of it, it's never ending learning and it's never ending awe. And I also, I'm, I'm a deep nature lovers. I told you in the beginning of our call and kind of hard to be an herbalist and not be one of those, nice. but um yeah you get that connection that like really deep connection and that connection can always grow and become greater so i love hearing that that you you learned by like going to barnes and
1: nobles and, and,
0: and just stealing their paper stealing their grabbing paper. a pen I,
1: I would keep the paper i would try my best to give back their pens i would put their pens back <laughs>
0: Nice. Um, so some integrity there too. That's always good. <laughs> the
1: integrity. I cut the paper, return the pen. It was really cool to do that. I'm, I'm grateful that I learned like that. And sometimes, um, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, so you can, you can learn like that. You don't necessarily have to do that. And I would say, absolutely you can. However, there's a bunch of stuff that took me years to figure out that had I had a competent teacher, they could have explained it in like 10 minutes. And I would have right. been like, oh, cool. I get that now." Yeah, um, you know, and that's I think what, what I try to do with teaching is, um, you know, there's there's so many good teachers and so many good teachers who teach in so many different kinds of ways. In
0: art and and
1: science. I think that one of the things, especially when people are thinking about teaching themselves, you know, they're thinking like, oh, maybe I want to teach. It's like you think about the other people that you've seen teach and you think like, oh, well, that person does that. And I don't know if I could ever do that. And that person does that. And I'm not sure if I could do that. And I just think you figure out, like, if you think about the way that you learn, then you think like, oh, there's probably other people who learn like that too. And so a lot of the funny and silly and ridiculous stuff that, that I do to teach people is because that's how I learn. Like, I don't remember complicated, big words. And um, although I know a lot of pathophysiology and I know a lot of complicated words, that's not easy for me. So what I do is if I'm, I'm learning some of that, I think to myself, how can I like simplify this down to some kind of analogy or some, you know, what can I do with, you know, a sponge or a pool noodle or, you know, <laughs> some silly thing that, that will make me go like, oh, okay. I might not know all the moving pieces and all the names of everything and how to spell everything and all the different individual immune cells that are involved. But I can have a working understanding of the larger process and know how to use herbs, you know, Mm -hmm. to to make it work for that. And there are other people who are really good at the minutia. And I'm super happy because when when I need to figure something out, I can call them and ask them. And, you know, ironically, that some of those people will call me up and ask me stuff, you know, and and there's different kinds of herbalists to learn from and to work with. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I, I love about herbalism in this country is that there's so many different kinds of herbalists that people can find the herbalist that is going to work best for them rather than to say like, oh, there's a certain kind of herbalist that is the best kind of herbalist, which right. I think is a silly thought.
0: Yeah. I, I I love all that you just said there. Like, I felt so fortunate that I have learned from so many different teachers, you being one of them and Paul Bergner and Seven Song and Rosemary and Christopher Hobbs and the books that I've gotten. And I've never taken an actual class with people. Herbalism and teaching are both art and science. And you're going to have people that you are like, oh, damn, they just dropped something that I totally picked up. And you're going to also find those teachers where you're like, okay, that's cool. But like, I need more you know, and, and then you move on to the next one and you take the lessons and you take the bits and pieces. And, and I love hearing that from you being one of my earlier herb teachers. And, and I love teaching and I've had this like, oh my gosh, I love teaching, but there's all these other herbalists that are so much smarter than me, you know, but I also know I have like this me, I have me. And, right. and this love to teach and I do have knowledge that is really important to pass on to others. And so I, not that this show is about me, it's about you, but I've, I've been working with this, like, Oh, who am I to teach herbalism? Oh, I'm somebody that's been studying it for 15 plus years, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and, and somebody that has fun teaching people and loves it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, that whole world and it's beautiful how many teachers there are that's why I like having other teachers on this podcast because you're always dropping some kind of like boom oh yeah (laughs) that's right well I think about
1: um, when I first met Rosemary and I remember meeting her and she knew so much and she was just so like practically and experientially a great herbalist But also one of the things with Rosemary that still sticks with me is it's not just the the stuff that she knows, but the way that she is an herbalist, the way that she is like empowering, the way that she is cooperative, the way that she helps all the other people, you know. She's a connector. Yeah. She's like, oh, you know. I can help this person. I can offer them an opportunity or I can offer them some little bit of knowledge. I used to actually write letters on paper back and forth to her before like email was a thing. Then I had her out to come and teach. And although I don't see her, um, as much as I would like to. She's like one of these really close friends that I have that I don't see very often. And someone who's just a continual inspiration to me in terms of the kind of herbalist that I want to be and, and how that's so much more than the, the quantity of information, you know, yeah. it has to do with how you carry yourself and how you interact with people and how you stay connected to the plants, you know, because yeah. I, I think that's something with her is that she's always had her knowledge and her teachings and her understandings rooted in serving the plants and caring about the plants and being connected to them and having them, you know, inspire her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really beautifully said. And she is absolutely empowering and it's definitely a connection for the plants and being able to teach more people about the importance of using plants as medicine is helping those plants. And I love doing that part. I love learning that from other people. And there's something that's been coming up a lot lately that I see on the big wide world of the interwebs that kind of becomes a little frightening and sometimes damaging when it comes to like, hey, let's spread this information. I like to say the hashtag spread like wildflowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's beautiful. But I know you're seeing this too, but there are just tons of pictures on the internet where somebody comes back and they've got this huge basket full of X plant. And they're like, I think this is X plant. What do I do with it? Right. And it's is one. This, it, not is, that is, it,
1: plant. is it good for anything? <laughs> yeah.
0: That one is this good for something? Yeah. I have a whole basket of it. You know, how do we, as herbalists and educators and people that want to inspire others to use plants as medicine and to have this relationship and respect with the plants and the land, how do we transfer the information and and inspire these people to do this stuff sustainably?
1: I think we just keep teaching and keep teaching and keep teaching and keep teaching and keep teaching. And keep
0: teaching. <laughs> it's but like I, a fractal that never ends. Yeah. <laughs> so. I went to school in the early 2000s for outdoor leadership and environmental and experiential education. And and I was in this politics of recreation course with this teacher of mine. And I'm just like, yeah, get the kids outside, make everything great. And this guy, his teacher was like, yeah, that's, that's cool that you want to do that with, with these kids and do what you can to save the planet and all these great things. But what are you going to do? When all of your favorite places are now paved over and they're RV campgrounds, that's Mm -hmm. happened. Or they're so full that you can't go out there and get that peace that you so desperately seek. Or they're filled with trash everywhere.
1: Yeah. So it's just like more, more intrusion. And I mean, I'm happy that people are getting out. And I think that that's awesome and everything. But there definitely is an impact, you know, that there's more people, there's more trash, there's more sort of wear and tear. There's more impact. You know, there's just more impact. You get more people into the small amount of areas.
0: Yeah. It it presents such a huge challenge. And, you know, it's it's like with the plant world too. Like I want to teach people how to use plants and how to gather them sustainably and and, in that fashion. And I love the point you brought up, like, yeah, you teach them to do it sustainably, but then they go back to that spot. And then the next guy comes back the next day and the next guy comes back Mm -hmm. the next day and takes, and then suddenly that, quarter of a stand becomes three quarters of it or, you know, whatever. Yeah, uh,
1: it takes it takes four people for more than a third of the stand to be gone. Yeah. You know, just four people. Yeah. And then when you think about the places that have the accessible parking lots and that people know about are going to experience the most impact from there, you know, the first classes I did were, were walks. Yeah. Um, uh, And because of the people that I had learned from and um, early exposure to United Plant Savers, sustainability was something I started talking about right off the the bat. Plant Savers was really just taking off when I started teaching. And actually where I met Rosemary and Matthew Wood and Paul Strauss was at the United Plant Savers Sanctuary in Rutland, Ohio. And so I had gone to see them and I was going to be teaching a class shortly after. So that was like Right from the get go for me. And I've heard of, about foraging groups and about new herbalists and sort of like their naivete, let's say, right? You know, they're naive about ethics. And definitely there are times I'm just like, oh, I feel upset about it and I feel distressed about it and super frustrated and, and more than a little bit irritated about yeah. that but then i think okay i know some people are like i've had it with foraging groups or i've had it with young people let's we'll say young herbalists not necessarily young people but people who are just getting into herbalism who hear about ghost pipe and they go out and they gather a whole bunch you know without understanding some of the sustainability and ethical considerations around that and you know like i just can't deal with it i'm going to like leave these groups and you know like i don't know whether i should teach wildcrafting anymore and i'm like well so if if we who don't. care about sustainability, right? If we who understand sustainability don't teach about the ethics and um, the knowledge base around sustainable practices, then there's just going to be a void—a void that's filled in with people who aren't thinking about that. Who have this sort of like, "Ooh, there's free food outside in nature," you know? Just yeah. go outside and it's your grocery store, and you can just take stuff. And I just know from doing this for twenty-five-ish years that people do actually learn. It can be frustrating when you look out and you see people who either haven't learned or who adamantly think they shouldn't have to learn. It's like their right to go out into nature and take stuff, you know, and... But I know that people do learn. A story that I always think of is that one time I gather Solomon seal. I also plant it and I sometimes get it from small herb farms, right? But I I do wildcraft it around the area. And I have this unique way of uncovering the root to expose the rhizome and then breaking off the back half of it and letting the living plant keep growing in the ground. And I found over the years that if you gather it like that, it not only doesn't show signs of impact from harvesting, but it can actually spread because it'll start growing from the broken part of the rhizome. I've got the places, the locations that I gather from on like a seven or eight year spread, you know? So I, I have, let's say eight different places that I go to that I gather roots, uh, rhizomes from. And every seven or eight years, I go back to a place I've been before. It takes that long for the root to regenerate. And I got to one of the places and I dug up the root and I was like, oh, that one's just got a small root. And I got to the next one, and I was like, that one's got a small root. And then I was like, wait a minute. And I started looking around and like, you know, there was about Solomon's seal root. that almost looks like it has little knuckles. It's about like three or four knuckles behind every root. And I was like, oh, somebody's been here. Someone's been here and they've harvested the plant like within the last year or two. And that's why there's no longer roots in this particular area. And a thought I had was, well, damn, there goes one of the spots that I collect from. But also all these plants are still here because they gathered them in a sustainable way that I've been teaching and they learned it, right? So when we think, oh, people will never learn and people are so resistant, we're looking, and I think we do this in a lot of ways in the culture at large, we look at the loud vocal people who are adamantly resistant to change and growth and not to all the people who learn that and they don't post like, hey,
0: no, I'm not gonna do that, it's mine,
1: you know? There's a lot of people who learn stuff. Yeah. And yeah. those are the people that we're teaching for. And the more people are teaching about sustainability, the more people who are teaching about sustainability as a forethought rather than as an afterthought. Yeah. You know, that, that right at the same time you're learning, like, I need to know how to identify things. A part of identifying it is knowing its ecological status where you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I know a lot of people know Howie Brownstein, who's a teacher in Oregon. and one of Another the very
0: funny teacher.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that he talks <laughs> about, which I think is brilliant, is that all plants are rare. All plants are rare at the edge of their range. So like where I'm at, burdock is not a rare plant. There aren't sustainability issues with burdock. But if I start heading out towards the Southwest... Burdock is going to become rarer and rarer and rarer and rarer. So we can't say that burdock as a plant in its existence everywhere has the same sort of sustainability concerns. And there are places where it would probably be unethical to harvest burdock from, right. um, you know, sure. It's a non-native and sure it's a biennial, but if you want it to continue to exist in an area, we would need to practice sustainability things. We would maybe need to wild harvest seeds and wild cultivate plants and that just becomes something that should be just a, as much a part of educating people about using herbs as identification, as about how to make a tincture or like different ways to make teas or oil to wax ratios and making salves. It should just right. be like one of the things that people learn.
0: Yeah. I love, I, I really love hearing that because sustainability is so much the core and the root and the heart of why I wanted to become an herbalist to figure out like how can we use these plants to not only help ourselves but to help this planet and having that connection and we all know that our planet needs our help you know Um, yeah. I've been immersed in some of the conversation and conflict going on in the interwebs around sustainability and foraging and ethics and and how to get that out there and seeing the loud person that's like no I'm taking everything and it's my right and seeing the other people that are like, but no, you need to, you need to have some respect and just, just hearing what you said right there is really powerful to me. I have another great teacher that came to me in my dreams right after she passed and, she said to me for almost two weeks straight, you have the voice, you have what it takes to shout it from the mountaintops and the treetops about the importance of using these plants as medicine. And you need to do it for the plants and for the people and for the planet. She would repeat that. I have a whole episode about it. It's Cascade Anderson Geller. And it was one of the more powerful, impactful teaching moments that I've ever had in my life. And it was in my dreams. <laughs> and So you I've had I didn't
1: know Cascade super well, but I met her, you know, towards the end of her life. And she, it, when she was like a young teen or 20 something year old, she lived like, you know, 20 minutes away from here.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. I, I, in some ways, I wish I would have known that. And then I'm like, oh, but I would have been like a little kid. Like, I wasn't right. in that then. Um, some people are like, oh, you know, we should just really stop wildcrafting and not be teaching that. And I, I think that for some plants, absolutely. But at least where I live, if I look out in my field, and I'm like, none of the wildcrafting of goldenrod that I do is going to negatively impact goldenrod populations, right? Right. Not all plants are like that, but some plants are like that, and so it's again, it, it goes back to sort of understanding your ecosystem and the way that the plants interact with their ecosystem, and. I know that it won't apply to people who live farther away, but there's some great books that are by naturalists mm-hmm. that talk about plants outside of their medicinal or edible uses and fit them into sort of like the larger habitat ecology. And I've always thought that it's a shame that more herbalists don't learn more cellul- naturalist skills and knowledge about how the forest ecosystem works, how the meadow ecosystem works, how disrupted soil predisposes to certain plants for for good or for ill and sort of like having that understanding in ecology and in habitat dynamics to be informing their decisions about how they wildcraft.
0: take a quick pause to show some love and gratitude to our sponsors of the Herbalist Path podcast, who make this show possible for me and possible for you too. So here it goes. I love this time of year. It's spring, the sun is shining, and all of our beautiful plant friends are popping up. It's amazing. Unless, of course, you're one of the millions of people who suffer from seasonal allergies. You know, the itchy, watery eyes, the sneezing and wheezing that's straight miserable. Thankfully, there are some amazing herbs that can help you with all of that, just like the herbs inside of kick Ask Allergy from Wish Garden Herbs, one of my absolute favorite herbal companies out there. kick Ask Allergy, yes, I said ask without the K at the end. Anyways, this formula has Yerbasanta, Nettles, Echinacea for that immune support, and Orange Peels, all which come together to help dry up those excessive mucosal secretions. Yep, I'm talking about the sniffles and the stuffy nose, the watery eyes, and all that jazz. This blend also acts as a great expectorant and can help ease the swelling and inflammation in those mucosal tissues. It is a top go-to for seasonal allergies. And get this, they combine all those beautiful herbs with glycerin, so it actually tastes pretty darn good. Or should I say it tastes kick-ass without the K at the end. Anyways, if allergy season is miserable for you and you want a natural remedy that actually works for those itchy eyes and being all sneezy and wheezy, you have got to check out Wish Garden Herbs Kick Ask Allergy. And for those of you with the little kiddos, no sweat, they've got a Kick It allergy too. And you pregnant mamas? you don't have to suffer either. They've got a kick-ass allergy formula just for you. So head over to wishgardenherbs.com or check out the link in the show notes and go grab yourself some kick-ass allergy so you can enjoy spring again. Yeah, that I, I so agree. And that's so much of the 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 connection that you mm-hmm. get with nature. Like before I got into herbalism, I got into herbalism because my background's in environmental and experiential ed and being outdoors and, and learning about your surroundings. And that made me be like, but wait, there's these plants here. <laughs> you know, What are they here for? And, and what are they doing? I just, I, I agree totally that being attentive to those surroundings and, you know, in some places, yeah, let's, use that plant. And it brings me to a book that I'm only partially through, but, um, one of your online students, Orna, Dr. Orna Isaacson, Uh um, told me about, and then like, right after she told me about it, like five other places I'm seeing it show up everywhere. And it's by this woman, Robin Wall I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's braiding sweetgrass Mm -hmm. and I haven't read the full book, so I'm not the ideal person to speak fully about it, but from my understanding and gist of it, it's like that relationship between us and the plants, it's a symbiotic relationship and we can work with nature and nature can work with us. And we did for thousands of years until we came into modern day culture and society and, and lost that connection. So
1: yeah, I don't
0: yeah, know.
1: It's, it's interesting because we, we, I think because of capitalism, we've developed kind of a transactional relationship with nature. Yeah, And I see that actually in some people who think that they have the exact opposite of that, you know? So one of the things that students will ask me sometimes is oh, so if I'm gathering plants, I need to leave some tobacco or some kind of offering, right? And there's different traditions, like indigenous to North and South America, tobacco in many cultures was a traditional thing that you would leave. Obviously, that wouldn't have been the same for like East Asia or Northern Europe because they didn't have tobacco. And so, but thinking about some kind of offering, I think is important. And it could be a substance, or I know people will cut off some of their hair, or people will leave a song or something. But one of the things that I think, and what's become the largest and most important offering that I can give is that if there are certain plants that I gather, or if there are certain habitats or woodlands or meadows or wetlands that I go to, the offering is stewardship you know, the offering is like, okay, I'm coming into this habitat and I am taking stuff out of it for myself and for my family and for my community. And so what am I giving back? If, if all I do is I think like, oh, as long as I put down some tobacco where I gather the plant, that still feels a little bit transactional to me, right? So I might think, oh, so there's this and this that grows in in the forest or in the field or in the wetland, but what isn't growing here? What used to grow here that's not growing here anymore? And so I might come back and replant native species back into that habitat. I might clean up the litter that is in that habitat. I might spread seeds or do root divisions of the plants within that habitat to establish more healthy populations of certain species. Um, and that kind of taking on a role of caretaker or stewardship for me has become probably the biggest offering that I give. You know, yeah. I will absolutely admit I do not put an object on the ground where I pick every plant that I have, but I am actively in my community. I mean... Some years ago, a friend of mine and a very, very good herbalist in Detroit, Gary Wantejop, he's got a long established herb shop in the Northern part of Detroit. He gave me this quart bag full of sprouting ginseng seeds. And I was like, eek, quart bag of seeds. is a lot of seeds. I need to plant them, but it's a lot of seeds to plant. And so I planted them. I planted some in my yard. I went to like eight or nine different state parks planted seeds everywhere, but then I still had a lot of seeds. And so in little city parks, I would plant ginseng. Behind the rest stop where people take their dogs out, I was planting <laughs> ginseng. Like in the woods behind a strip mall, I was planting ginseng. I was just putting uh, stuff like that everywhere. Jimmy um,
0: ginseng seed instead of Johnny yeah, Apple absolutely. seed. absolutely.
1: <laughs> and um, for some of the plants that I can't gather around here because of sustainability issues or they're not something that I could ethically collect around here, like black cohosh or golden seal, um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll get cultivated roots from small herb farmers in the fall, fresh, and I buy more than I need. And for something like black cohosh or golden seal, they will be the shoots for next year. And I'll sort of cut those and break those off and create a separate pile and use the non-shoot plant material to make medicine with, And then go and replant the stuff. And that allows me to both replant species back in the area and support the people who are growing those species. You know, so sometimes I see people and they'll say like, Oh, you shouldn't use that plant anymore. It's at risk or it's on the to watch list or it's threatened or endangered. But I don't think that that means you shouldn't use them. It just means you need to think about where you're getting them from. And if we're getting them from people who are growing them, By using them, we're encouraging more cultivation. Yeah. And if we not only use them for medicine, but take a portion of what we're using for medicine and replanting them, we're reestablishing habitats. And that's all a part of this sort of reciprocal stewardship that I think should be a part of anyone who is is wildcrafting or foraging.
0: Heck yeah, (laughs) I love that. It is time for a little commercial break from our sponsors. Oh wait, that's me. I'm totally the sponsor of my own podcast. So if you want to get your hands on some great herbal products that you can feel really good about putting in and on your body, head on over to mountainmels.com. We've got great functional herbal teas and herbal first aid goods for those that love to get out and play. And when you use the code THP 15 you can get 15% off your order and in other exciting news at the herbalist path we are about to begin our new membership program wild and crafty where you will get intimate and really get to know one individual plant a month you'll learn why you want to use it as medicine how to harvest it in a sustainable and ethical fashion or how to grow it how to make your own medicine with it, and so much more. To be one of the first in the club and help uh, form how awesome it's going to be, head on over to theherbalistpath.com forward slash wild plus sign crafty underscore waitlist. That'll be linked for you in the show notes. And now back to the podcast with the wonderfully entertaining and brilliant Jim McDonald. I always had a hard time resonating with the just leave tobacco and I get ceremony and I I understand that. Um, I'm really blessed to live in an area that I get to go and be amongst the plants that I'm going to harvest and I'll typically hang out in an area for two to three years before I even gather one of those plants for my own use just so I, I know the environment and the ecosystem and And I love that stewardship piece. I think that is essential. And and I'm going to go back to like the beauty of that because our society, so much of us suffer from that lack of connection to nature. But if you're giving that stewardship, you've got to feel some pride and some real love Mm. and joy and beauty when you get to go back to those spaces years later and be able to observe, are these plants thriving? Has somebody else been here before? That... Mm in and of itself is medicine right there. I think.
1: Yeah. If I, if I go back and I find plants that I planted or some of the plants that that I've done as rescues from areas that have been, you know, developed, I see like a strip mall coming soon sign. I'm like, Oh, I need to trespass there. (laughs) See If there's any unique species that don't grow other places. And can I dig them up and move them? And uh, I remember one time I was uh, driving past a, a meadow that I drove past every day. And it's just like a meadow surrounded by houses and mixed new development and old farmland that has gone a little bit wild. And I saw them just plowing up this metal and I saw a bunch of flowering butterfly weed or pleurisy root. And so I just pulled over and have a shovel in my car and I started digging out roots and, um, someone drove on their little yellow mechanical thing and was like hey this is private property you can't be here and I was like oh I'm you guys are plowing up the field and I'm gonna dig up these plants and and save them from getting plowed up and he's like yeah but it's like private property and I was like yeah but the plants you know (laughs) and he's like so like I just work here but my boss says you got to go or we're going to call the police. I'm like you could call the police and probably if the police come they're going to be like you have to go and by the time they get here and make me go I'll have dug up a whole bunch more plants. So if you need to do that I totally get that, right? You know, I kind of don't think I'm going to get arrested for digging up plants that you're plowing up. Um, and he's like oh just come back on Saturday. And you know, I have an area that I live in. I feel really connected to my area the the areas that, that I gather from or areas that I've had relationships for a really long time. And so even the the vacant lots and stuff are places that I've pulled over and walked around. And if I see that one of them is going to be gone and there's a certain species there that is not common other places, I want to be able to move it and put it in a place where it can continue to grow and to exist and hopefully to thrive, you know? And sometimes that's, um bringing them back to my place i've got a small piece of land and so it's nice to it's nice to get stuff that that are here i get to see them more easily but a lot of time it's dependent on the the habitat that it's growing in you know if i don't have the particular habitat the plant comes from i need to go and find a place and even where i live there's a state park well maybe like two or three state parks close by and then a private metro park close by and so like they're also sort of like my 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 wild garden to a little bit. Someone told me recently, like you know, it's illegal. You can't just plant stuff there. And I'm like, eh, they're natives. If I'm gonna get in trouble for that, if someone's gonna be like, you were planting endangered species on our park, like, I'm, I'm gonna own up to that.
0: Yep, I'll pay for the legal fees. <laughs> like...
1: uh, I feel I feel like I can I can own up to the the legal repercussions of of that particular act.
0: And it goes back to like, okay, by the time so and so gets here to arrest me for my plant planting. (laughs) It's done. And I'm gone. And everything is great. You know, Um, we are improving our spaces I love that story and I think Mm -hmm. it's great and I think it's really wonderful words of wisdom are there any like if you were to narrow it down and somebody somebody's that new herbalist or that young herbalist that's ready to go out there and and create this connection and make their own medicine what other like if there were other little tidbits that you just wanted to direct them in that world
1: Like I said, I I just kind of crisscrossed Lower Michigan doing some early spring plant walks. And what was especially nice about them is pretty much all the plants that I talked about for three hours at a time were weeds. And when I think about the plants that are the most versatile and adaptable and the plants I keep coming back to using over and over and over and over and over again, they're weeds and they just... Grow wild in my yard. So, like the plantains and the cleavers and the nettles and the burdocks and the dandelions and the yellow dock roots. You know, marshmallow doesn't grow wild here, but common mallow, malva neglecta, does grow wild here. So we have a nice scent. Violets grow is a weed in many places. There's so much you can do with those. And I think that one of the things that happens when people are learning about herbs, there are definitely like, ooh, that herb, like, ooh, like there are certain herbs that have an ooh quality to them, Right. you know, like, ooh, ghost pipe or, you know, ooh, black cohosh or, you know ooh, this plant or ooh, that plant. And um, I have that too, you know, I I try to
0: grow some of the the (laughs) ooh
1: plants, you know, I've got some low dose ooh botanicals that that I use a little bit, (laughs) but they're not the main plants that I use. The main plants that I use the most, and there are absolutely some exceptions to this, but the main plants that I use for the most are largely weeds and they (laughs) grow without any watering without any planting, which makes it really helpful, Mm -hmm. Uh, and without any sort of maintenance. And a lot of them, if you pick them, they grow more, at least around here. And I know that people listening to this may live in other places where these plants don't grow, but at least around here, if I pick plantain leaves, more plantain leaves grow. If I pick violet leaves, more violet leaves grow. If I pick ground ivy or creeping charlie, more ground ivy and creeping charlie grows. If I pick chickweed, but still set a bunch of seed and more chickweed will come back in that area. Um, yarrow can be weedy here. And if I'm just collecting the tops of yarrow, it continues to grow. Um, goldenrod here is a, a native wildflower, but it's also pretty weedy, it gets into places. If I pick the goldenrod, more goldenrod grows. You know, There's self-heal here. There's an endless quantity of weeds. And I think that that's a perfect place to start in herbalism. Yeah. And yeah. I have this little theory. It's not an academic theory. I haven't done research on it. It's just my own little thinking. So it's purely speculative. And I feel good about speculative herbalism as long as you just say that it's speculative herbalism. Bought <laughs> up something and you're like, hey, I, I was kind of wondering about this, you know, share that information, but always frame it like, this is just what I've been thinking about it. That way, you know, people aren't like, oh, this is true. Jim said um, it, it's true. <laughs> yeah that's a scary thing. People people do that sometimes. Don't don't do that. Don't make well Jim said this be the end of your argument. I don't even think the I don't even agree with everything that I say. But um yeah focusing on on the weedy stuff that grows in your yard and that saves you a bunch of things is first you get to know your yard and I think that the more that people value the weedy stuff that grows in their yard the more they become stewards of their yard. And the more that they think about like, oh, maybe I don't want to spray that plant, or maybe I don't want to dig that plant out. Maybe, oh, there's that plant I need to weed out of the place that it's growing. But as I weed it, I can set it aside and use it for something rather than weeding it and just throwing it away. Right. Yeah. It creates a lot of sustainability and it's right outside of our door. And so what I think of my speculative idea is that there are certain plants that grow in disturbed habitats around people because they are such useful medicines, household medicines for people to use for so many different issues. And that's why when we think about so many of the common weeds and we're like, oh, you can use it for this this practical reason and this practical reason and this practical reason and this practical reason and this practical reason, it's because that's kind of in the nature of plants that like to grow in habitats that humans disturb.
0: Yeah. Yep, I'm gonna go with your speculative herbalism right there. And even if I did hear it from you now, I've also experienced it. So so Uh, I love that, Um, that, it's it's so true, and they're so powerful too. It just really speaks to to the mm-hmm. power of their medicine. You know, they keep coming back no matter how damn hard we try and kill them. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> you know? I mean, I use I use so much more plantain than I use golden seal or black cohosh. Or, Hands down,
0: one of my absolute favorite you know, freaking herbs. I just posted about it yesterday. A
1: non-native plant that doesn't grow wild, like ashwagandha, is great, and I recommend that all the time. You know, love it. Solomon seal has really unique properties for musculoskeletal issues and I do use a lot of that
0: have you, but have you, really
1: the the basis of my apothecary are weedy stuff yeah
0: heck yeah I mean you could you could do so much like plantain I love teaching me about plantain for gut health with people mm-hmm. and you know it was Paul Bergner that taught me about that and I'm like oh that makes perfect sense, you know? And, and I love teaching kids about plantain because it can help them in so many ways. And like my daughter will go play at the park and one of her friends will come up. She was like three, I think. And her friend got hurt and she went over and she grabbed a plantain leaf and took it to her friend for her ouchie. And I was like, oh my God, I just won all parenting right there. (laughs) Um, I would
1: teach here in Michigan. I, you know, sort of got on like the circuit. I don't know if circuit's the right word. I'll just say circuit. It's more fun to say that. I got (laughs) the the master gardener conference circuit. And they're like, oh, we would like you to come and teach, you know, what kind of classes do you offer? And my favorite class to do for that, that crowd is what to do with your weeds because they know all the weeds, but the weeds are a problem for them. The weeds are the thing that's getting in the way of what they're doing and they're pulling them out anyway. So they're already collecting them. You know, so it just becomes about doing that. And I have a vague handout that has some of the common weeds. But what I started doing is rather than going in and saying, I'm going to talk about this plant or that plant or that plant, I would get to wherever I was going like an hour before the class started and I would find a neglected area and I would gather the weeds around the building and be like, okay, these are the weeds we're going to talk about. Some mullein leaves and some burdock I would dig up and some yellow dock, and a bunch of plantain. And I did that for a long time. And then one time I remember teaching out in Mount Pleasant, which is kind of like in the middle of the lower peninsula of Michigan. And I just figured, you know, it's another bastard Gardener event. I'm going to do that. And so I wandered around the place that it was going to be held in this little hotel with a conference room in there. And I gathered my plants. And I walked into the building, and rather than there being like about 25 to 45 people there, there was probably like a couple hundred people there. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, crap, I need to go out and gather more weeds if I'm going to pass these around.
0: (laughs) That's that's funny you're like oh big crowd awesome you
1: know everyone had like uh you know powerpoints that they were doing and slides and there's the big projector and I'm like I'm gonna sit on the table barefoot and pass weeds around
0: right that's kind of the issue I have like in teaching online like there's so my background's in experiential education so you're touching it you're smelling it you're seeing it you're doing it you're experiencing whatever it is you're learning about whether it's plants or whatever the heck um so like taking that in the online experience it's like how do you create that like here you've got a room of 200 people how are you going to get those weeds in their hands and let them see that these weeds have some value and they're not just the bad guys you know Um, it's a fun fun interesting challenge
1: Even last year, when I was finally able to resume my in-person course, one of the things that was always a part of the course was like, oh, we're talking about certain plants I would pass, a tincture bottle around, you know, if I'm talking about a certain plant, like take a drop and pass it around. And so you get like a visceral experience. You're not just looking at a picture of it. You're not looking at the dried herb. you get a visceral sense of like what it feels like in your body. And I was like, I can't pass a bottle around because we don't know at the, at the time, you know, early, I guess like early summer, I think was when we were able to start doing classes, whether one person can pass a bottle to to another person, to another person, to another person, to another person. And so for the first several classes, we didn't do any of that. And I thought like, Oh, that's, that's sad. That's a bummer. Eventually, what we started doing is is I had an um, apprentice who was helping me out with the, the classes would like wander around and get everyone a drop on their finger, you know, so that there was just like not a, a passing back and forth.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good solution. I mean, we've all had to get really, really creative with all mm-hmm. of this, everybody around our world. So it's really interesting to see the way we humans are forced to adapt when these plants are consistently adapting.
1: So, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome, Jim. Thank you. I know you're, you're teaching online and the listeners of this podcast want to learn more from you, which I highly recommend they do. How can they find you?
1: Well, sure. I've got two websites. I have the old dinosaur website and that's herbcraft.org. And I say it's a dinosaur website, not just because it's been around for a while, but because I built it on Microsoft front page 2003, and <laughs> I'm still using that. And so I, I'm going to apologize to anyone who tries to look at it on their phone. It will not reformat to you. So. Uh, <laughs> Viewing it on a tablet or on a laptop or on a full-size computer screen is the way to look at that. You can do it on a phone. It's a bit of a struggle. And that one's got a ton of free information, lots of articles on plants, lots of some articles on energetics, some articles on therapeutic strategies for things like sinusitis or back injuries that are long and in-depth that you can look up there. And all of that information is is totally free. Um, There's a bunch of videos on YouTube that are totally free. So if you type in Jim McDonald, and herbalist Um, you'll find a bunch of free youtube videos of me probably mostly that i put up there but some pirated ones that people have put up there without asking and i haven't made them take them down yet um but those are there in terms of like just making information available which is really important to me but i also need to make a living so there is a site that's herbcraft.podia that's p-o-d-i-a.com so herbcraft.podia.com And that's got a bunch of virtual herb walks and classes on gut healing teas and classes on bitters and classes on aromatics and also houses the the yearly online course that I do that I just started doing this year. So if you're interested in that, instead of like going a little bit further or like you say, you know, you look at some of the free content you're like, oh, the way that Jim teaches is a way that I learn from well. And you want um, more content than I have the herbcraft.podia.com site. Okay. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook and respond to stuff on there. Uh, I'm on Instagram and largely don't get it. Quite yeah. <laughs> figured out how to navigate that one yet. Yeah, um, I feel
0: like I need to be 20 years younger to really get Instagram well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, And I'm not 20
0: years younger and I'm never gonna be. (laughs) There's so many things to figure out in the technological world to get this kind of information out to people. And I feel like it gets really overwhelming and it prevents us from doing the good work that we can do. This
1: is really a whole whole additional part, I think um, for a lot of herbalists who are teachers, is all of the techiness that's involved in trying to stay up on that and trying to get back to people and respond to people and like maintain that and learn how to use those tools to promote what they're doing because the thing that allows us to to teach, the thing that allows us to see clients, the things that allows us to actually be herbalist is to be able to get the information about what we do out to people, Uh right? And when there's so much extra work that goes into doing that, it's like, Ooh, you know, we have to, we have to stay up and we have that as as much as I spend time like chopping up roots by hand, I spend time cutting and pasting emails into my newsletter thing that I have to send out to advertise classes.
0: It's really a lot of work. And, you know, I've been learning a lot, like I said, about that, like just getting it, getting in touch with the online world there's a few herbalists that really crush it you know and then there's 50 times more brilliant herbalists with great things to offer that don't crush it with the technology but i think one lesson i'm learning as i go and navigate that world is the importance of being able to hire somebody to do that shit so that you can focus on being a good herbalist and teaching Mm -hmm. your message um and you know of course that takes money (laughs) And that's why it's important to pay brilliant teachers like you for your knowledge and wisdom. And I think in our herbal world, we all kind of we want to save everybody and we want the plants to be free and we want all of this stuff. But like we have to pay our bills. Um,
1: I've noticed that there are some teachers who like. they, They view their students as like. Peons yeah. like like not as the people who enable them to do what they do. you know, like i'm I'm really like i I stay intentionally really connected that the entire reason that I can do this like completely outlandish thing for a living is because people take my classes. And certainly, there are some students who are challenging or personalities that are difficult. But if you're a teacher, that's what you're signing up for. you know, this is the way that I can think about teaching if you got like, a classroom full of people, all of whom have different learning styles, you know, then it becomes a lot more imperative to be like, oh, I need to be adaptable. I need to be flexible. Although I did go out, I traveled sort of like back and forth across the lower part of Michigan to teach classes and to be out outside taking walks with a group of like, you know, 20 some odd people and just be like, oh, this is so easy and wonderful.
0: That's the magic. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the like feel it, good. It is.
1: I think it's, it's kind of like um, musicians, you know, like they just want to play live again. Like mm-hmm. I want to be there and have the, the dynamic with the people and the back and forth. For sure. It, one of the great things about teaching classes when there's people in front of you who are asking questions real time in a way that's maybe more natural than, you know, back and forth on a, on a Zoom call, is like the questions that people in classes ask are the part of the class that I don't know what's gonna happen. Right. And so it keeps it fresh for me, you know, whereas I'm going through and I've got like, well, my crazy little post-it notes full of shit that I wanna say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, well, you know, at a certain point in time, someone would have asked some question out of left field you know, of some issue that I don't know. And I would have had to be like, oh, okay. Or I would have, you know, given my best explanation of something. And then been like, everyone understand that. And some would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I would have to think like, oh, I need to think of another way to explain that. And there's been so many times in classes where like, I came up with an explanation in class because the explanation that I normally use didn't work for somebody. Right. And I needed the one on the fly and then I thought of one and then people were like oh I like that and I'm like I have to remember that you know yeah so I love that, that. that that sort of spontaneity is is really nice I, I'm happy to be able to get back to it more than I was able to last year
0: yeah
1: yeah it's, and... it's a dance it's definitely a dance to like figure out like where you feel good about things
0: yeah and, But I think, you know, we're doing the world a disservice by not spreading this stuff as as far and and wild as we can. Um, Yeah, doing the plants a disservice by doing it too, or not doing it. So interesting learning lesson there. Um, I wanted to touch back, like on Facebook, you're so active on your personal page and you drop a lot of really great conversation and um, not just dropping knowledge bombs, but like the things that make people be like, hmm what do I think about
1: that? In terms of having the discussion on Facebook, there's something that I kind of came to. So just sort of through learning is that I know that a lot of people want to learn to know things, you know? So like you're learning so that you could, you get to the end of learning where you know something. And I just kind of largely don't believe in that. So what yeah. I think <laughs> is like, You learn and then you learn more and you learn more and you refine ideas. And if someone thinks different from you, it's not like, well, I know this and they think something different. And so either they're wrong or they're suggesting that I'm wrong. It's like, no, we just have different understandings about that. And so, one of the things I like to do online is like, in fact, I think one of the last conversations about like tropho restoratives, you know. that I brought up on there, you know, if someone in class asked me a question, like, do you think that such and such herb could be a tropho restorative? And I was like, well, people haven't largely said that, but rather than like me answering it, my answer being the answer, cause I'll just, I kind of like wonder about things more than I know things. Um, like, how about we, I'll just post it on my Facebook page and we'll see what a bunch of different people say. And right. really what it revealed was like a bunch of people think a bunch of different things. And there were people that I resonated with their ideas a little bit more or a little bit less, but it was nothing where I was like, well, that person's wrong and that answer's right. In some ways, I think that when we have a concept that's not like codified to this is the right answer, this is the right approach, and people have different approaches and ideas about it, and we talk about them and we have discussions, everyone ends up learning. You know, It ends up stretching our, our ideas and our understandings around that issue, And that's beneficial for everybody. So anything that I teach is basically what I understand at that moment and always up to being fleshed out more or my mind changed entirely on it if I learn something new.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's it. Yep. It's so true. And it speaks to like herbalism and all of this being an art and a science. You know, there's there's definitely science to herbalism and there's art to it. And we all think and comprehend things in different ways. And and they're all valid. I mean, most of them, not all of them, (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's so great to see those perspectives and, and be open to Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think it's great, but thank you, Jim for being oh, on the pleasure. show. It's really great. I really hope, and I know that all of my listeners that actually truly tune in are gonna get a heck of a lot of value out of everything you just said. And I think it's pretty awesome. everybody. Yeah, woohoo you, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, well, I, I
1: really look forward to um, you know, talking is great and classes are great. It won't be too long before there are actually conferences again. Mm and you know and traveling I,
0: to I know traveling <laughs> to
1: teach and going out to places and meeting new people and connecting with different communities is is always pretty wonderful and I always learn stuff when I go uh to different places so um stay yeah. tuned when 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 the tour is allowed to go back on yeah. and, you know uh Oregon is is a place that that I hope to get back to. I've got friends there I haven't seen in years now. And uh, there are some musings and ideas about teaching in Oregon. So
0: Yay! for those
1: of you in Oregon, I hope to, to be able to have more on that soon.
0: I totally want to know about that. And then there's been quite a few people that are in my little community uh, that do live around Michigan and Wisconsin, and they're really curious about the plants there. Um, And you're doing some live walks. I've turned a few people your way, but I just want to make sure I can keep doing that and let them get in touch with you and learn the great plants around there.
1: Awesome, yeah. Live walks are fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jim.
1: Yeah. Have a great day, everyone.
0: You too. Thanks so much. Have a brilliant day.
1: Yep. So long. Bye.
0: This has been The Herbalist's Path. Thanks for joining us. Have we piqued your herb curiosity?
1: Are you thirsty for more? Well, then check out the show notes of today's episode for exciting educational opportunities, workshops, and courses. If you'd like to support our mission, please subscribe, rate, and review to help others find us. Together, we can make herbalism hashtag spread like wildflowers. Wishing you all a lovely day. Bye for now.
0: I wanted to take a quick pause to show some love and gratitude to our sponsors of the Herbalist Path podcast, who make this show possible for me and possible for you too. So here it goes. Medicinal mushrooms are all the rage these days, if you didn't know already. And with great reason, because they are powerful medicine that can improve your health and your life in so many different ways when they're well-made. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of stuff on the market that isn't going to be so effective. And that's why you need to find a brand that you can actually trust. For me, that brand is Whole Sun Wellness, and this is the creation of a brilliant woman and fellow mama, Jamie Bonfiglio. She's an international mushroom educator that has been working in the medicinal mushroom industry for years. And this is when she saw firsthand how many other companies take shortcuts when it comes to their products, and Jamie wasn't having it. She set out to build her company the right way. Whole Sun Wellness is here to raise the industry standards so those crap mushrooms on the market aren't getting into your body or your family's body. Whole Sun Wellness is the first company to test and report nutritional facts for all of their extracts. They go beyond industry standards every step of the way, from sourcing to extraction and final testing. And as the owners of the largest medicinal mushroom farm in the United States, Whole Sun Wellness is taking control of their supply chain for the highest quality and absolute full transparency. They're even the first company to include pure mycelium extract in every single product. So when you're thinking of getting medicinal mushrooms for you and your family, Whole Sun Wellness is exactly the ones you want. Also, be sure to check out their new Mycolites. These are the world's first dissolvable electrolyte tablets. They're featuring functional mushroom extracts that'll give you more energy, more stamina, and recovery as well. And who couldn't use all of that? The other thing is they are these adorable little mushroom shaped tablets and they come in like a little Altoids box, but way cooler than Altoids because they're Mycolites. Anyways, head to WholeSunWellness.com to grab yourself some Mycolites and all of the other functional medicinal mushrooms that you and your family need. And of course, you can grab that link right here in the show notes now.